Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. I always feel that my sister and my parents are not too far away from me. So that's really lovely for me to have that feeling and it's almost like I feel if you want to use sort of the term of having angels around you. On the 2nd of February 1986, 26-year-old Sydney nurse Anita Cobby had dinner with friends after work in Sydney's CBD. Afterwards, she caught the 912 train home to her parents' house in Blacktown, arriving at the station just before 10. She planned to call the house from the payphone outside the station to ask her father to come and pick her up. But when she got there, she found the phone had been vandalised and wasn't working. So she set out on foot. As fate would have it, John Travers, Michael Murdoch and the three Murphy brothers, Michael, Gary and Leslie, 
had decided to entertain themselves that night by cruising around in a stolen Holden Kingswood looking for a woman to rob and rape. They happened upon Anita within moments of her leaving the train station. The men abducted Anita and over the following two hours, they bashed, raped and tortured her while driving around Sydney's outer western suburbs. Eventually, they drove Anita to a secluded paddock at Prospect where they dragged her from the car and over a barbed wire fence. They each attacked her again before John Travers viciously murdered her. Anita's parents, Gary and Grace Lynch, didn't panic when she didn't come home. She was a grown woman after all. Anita was actually married. She and her husband were separated, but there were positive signs for reconciliation, and Anita often stayed in the city. Grace remembered it this way. I said to Gary in the morning, Anita didn't come home. Uh, she probably stayed with friends, which she did from time to time, especially if she was working late and had to start early in the morning. In the morning, however, Anita's boss called the house to say that she hadn't turned up for work, which was most unlike Anita. And then we knew something had happened. And so um, um, <clears throat> I said to Gary, we have to go and report it to the police, which we did. A missing persons report was filed. The following day, February 4, farmer John Reen noticed his cows milling around something in his paddock. He actually said he felt they were disturbed by something and he went to investigate. What he found was the badly injured, naked body of a woman. I just couldn't believe it was a human there laying in the paddock. I thought it was, you know, a doll or something at first. Detective Sergeant Graham Rosetta was stationed at Blacktown at the time and was one of the first on the scene. Two things that stick out of my mind. One, the, the uh, hideous gash across the throat and uh, the, the uh, look on, on her face, the, the look of agony on, on her face. And uh, there are obviously other marks on the body, but they're the two things that, uh, that uh, stand out. New South Wales homicide detective Ian Kennedy arrived soon after and he'd go on to become one of the lead investigators in the case. I think the thing that struck me most was uh, that uh, um, her head was, um, or her neck was very severely lacerated and uh, at one stage when the examiner rolled the body over to uh, have a look at uh, um, the, the frontal section of the body that uh, the head was very, very loose, uh, attached to the uh, torso. So it was more or less as if her, her uh, neck and head had been uh, completely severed. And that was a fairly traumatic um, thing to look at. Took a ring off her fingers. That was the only significant uh, um, object that was found in the area. Not even an ounce of clothing, nothing at all but this Russian interlocking wedding ring on her finger. As news filtered back to the police station, a uniformed member who was aware of the missing persons matter that had been filed the day before rushed to the scene at Prospect with the photo of Anita that her parents had supplied. Homicide detective Gary Heskett remembers seeing the photo and knowing what he needed to do next. Ian and I looked at the photograph and the body and we had no doubt in our mind it was the same person. So armed with this information and an address, uh, we decided then to head off over to 
Sullivan Street, Blacktown, to speak to the parents. All the police trained in the world never sees prepare one for these sad and sorrowful dark occasions. I had uh, a, a wedding ring. Our daughter was here at the time, our, our daughter Catherine, and uh, she identified it in the ring. There are a couple of excellent books we'd recommend if you'd like to know more about Anita and the investigation into her murder, including Someone Else's Daughter by Julia Shepard and Remembering Anita Cobby by Mark Morrie, which he wrote in close consultation with Anita's widower, John Cobby. We'll include information about these books in the show notes and on Facebook. But today's conversation on Australian true crime is with Anita's sister, Catherine Ziska, and it's all about legacy. Anita's legacy and the legacy of their parents, Grace and Gary Lynch. The Lynches made many media appearances in the years after they lost Anita. Famous for the quiet dignity that belied immense courage and tenacity, they fought tirelessly for justice for their own daughter and then kept fighting for many, many other people's loved ones as well. The five men convicted of Anita's murder received the landmark sentences of life in prison plus additional time with no possibility for parole. Justice Alan Maxwell declared through tears and at times struggling to speak that they must never be released. The lynchers are actually credited with the introduction of victim impact statements into the sentencing process in Australia. Before 1988, victims and victims' families had no opportunity to speak for themselves in Australian courts. And even though both Grace and Gary have passed away now, Gary in 2008, and Grace in 2013, they are still providing for other victims of violent crime. A new facility has finally opened in Sydney to provide healing and restoration for children affected by violent crime. It's called Grace's Place, and it's being nurtured into realisation now by her daughter, Catherine Ziska. It's quite interesting the way the brain works that... I have watched, the, you know, there's been documentaries on the murder, but I can watch something like that and it's like I'm a third person watching, which is really strange because I was there and went through it. So it's very interesting. Um, I can also see on the news or hear of another really horrific murder, crime, and I can say to myself and think, oh, my goodness, how could the family cope? How would they survive something like that? But, yeah, we do. We have. I have. I know one of the choices you've made is to not engage in any way with the offenders. Correct. Um, when the first of the offenders who's died, died in 2019, um, I won't say his name, but he died in Long in, in Long Bay because they're all um, incarcerated for the, their actual lives. And at that time, lots of people wanted to talk to you. How do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? And you said consistently, I don't feel anything. I don't think about these people. Yeah, I, and that's the truth. I made that decision a long time ago, um, especially once after the trial and that they were uh, sentenced and I was quite satisfied with that sentence. And mind you, you were, what, 21 at that time, 22? Yeah, about 22. And mum was the same. I think it just gave us a sense of relief uh, to know that they w- we wouldn't be hearing about them time and time again, although 
there has been times when they do try to loop. There's some loopholes still. Oh, really? There are some loopholes. So you don't have the parole um, cycle, but there are still other things? There's the young one. Um, He he has a loophole because, yeah, he, I think it's sort of stopped a bit now because, again, they've brought in um, some sort of regulation around that. So it can't happen too often. But for your own mental health, you've just been able to draw that line and yeah. say, I'm not thinking about what I want to happen to them or that I hate them or I hope that something awful is happening to them in jail or any yeah. of that stuff. Believe me, I did plenty of that. I did mm. plenty of that earlier on, um, thinking about, you know, what I'd like to happen. You know, that's all part of the grief cycle as well. Yeah. Um, so, sure, I went through that. Some people at the time were calling for um, capital punishment, which our family weren't necessarily for that because particularly my mum said that that's just an easy way out. That's, you know, they're not getting punished. They're just, um, you know, she would would have rather see them in some way be punished, which I think, you know, yeah, being locked away for the rest of your life as punishment. So I think that's the best thing I could have done really was just because yeah. that, what you're doing is you're letting go of the harbouring that sense of if it's revenge or hate or, um, you know, there's probably a number of words you can use. Also, it would be really hard for you to then have a joyful life. Well, yeah, having that kind of attitude, it really weighs you down. It can eat you up. It can actually damage you and your health as a human being, as we know. So, um, yeah, I didn't didn't want that. I've got a family, I have wonderful friends, wonderful life, um, and I want to keep, just keep moving forward. And it seems to me, uh, from what I've been able to read, that Anita was a, a joyful person. Certainly she was into giving as well and she was a caring person, she was a nurse. So it seems to me that if we try and think about what that person would want for us and what she would want for you, she would want a joyful life for you. Is that Fair to say? Yeah, exactly. She she was that person, very generous, kind, giving, um, and for sure I know that she would not want her family to be constantly grieving and, and um, harbouring anything just to yeah, get on with it. I can have my moments where I am actually living through, which is very very difficult to live through what she must have gone through because everything's been graphically described and, you know, I've, I've heard everything that I could possibly hear about what she went through. And so I can at times find myself going into that where I'm, I'm reliving it and then I have to sort of pull myself out of that and and know that I, that's not where I need to be. She wouldn't want me to be there or stuck in that place and I just have to know that she's in a better place now. I wrote a book last year about forensic pathologists, right, and so because of that I spent a couple of years hanging out at the mortuary, would you believe? <laughs> but an interesting byproduct of that was that I finally got it through my head that things like anything like that isn't happening anymore. It's over. It's something terrible that happened to somebody. And I was also working with family members of, of victims. And 
So we often talk like with a couple of them who I got close to, we'd, we'd talk about this and I, I don't know, I just got to this, I just realized seeing people, dead people, basically just realizing, Oh, it's not, it's not happening anymore. Like it's over. Yeah, I can agree. I watched my mum go through cancer. She passed yeah. away. And when I saw her, um, she passed away during a night. I didn't get to see her, but I rushed to the hospital um, just shortly after she'd passed. And she looked angelic and she was at peace. She'd been in so much oh. pain. Yeah, seeing them struggle, 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 and then seeing it's that over. beautiful, relaxed look on her face. Um, she was calm. And and I just said, off you go, mum, you know, off you yeah. go. The loss of Anita is such a pivotal moment in Australian history. Since then, it's been a touchstone in our culture where it must have felt over the years as though we've all wanted things from you and your parents at various times, whenever there's sort of moments about sentencing, um, you know, political moments or various things like that. Have you felt that way? Have you felt as though you've had this sort of pressure and responsibility to step up and speak about your sister's murder because of other issues in our culture? Yes, we ha- as a family we did. Um, Dad was a great speaker. He could always be the one to be the voice for the family. Mum found it more difficult. Myself, I was always in the background and didn't really have much to do with it. So since their passing, I've, I have felt a bit of a, um, I guess it's a, a duty to some extent because I know there are people that are perhaps curious and I've always wanted to help others as well. If I can help someone, influence someone in a positive way, that's that's great. But it can be quite a burden as well because having to dig down deep all the time, recall things, you can be a bit anxious about it and reliving it as well time and time again can can be a little bit emotional. I get so many people saying to me, oh, I remember the day. I I remember exactly. I remember how old I was. I remember my parents speaking to me. I remember this, that, that. You know, it's all um, very fresh in people's minds and memories understandably, because it was such a, a horrible and... and um, Pivotal moment in our culture. Uh, yeah, it was, and sort of a turning point, I think. Even broadcasters made decisions that hadn't been made before. They treated it differently, and I'll, for our listeners, I'll, I'll read that in um, separately to our conversation because you certainly don't need to listen to that or talk about that again. I didn't want to go into detail about this with Catherine for obvious reasons, but I did want to ask her about the impact of the notorious John Laws moment. Several days after Anita was killed, but before police had made any arrests, Sydney talkback king John Laws received a leaked copy of the autopsy report. He, along with the police who presumably leaked the document to him, was so outraged by the brutality of the attack that after much consideration, he decided to read the contents of the report live on air. It's not overstating it to say that making details like this public in Australia in 1986 changed the nation. Everyone knew exactly what had been done to Anita Cobby by other people who were at this point still walking among us. And it was beyond most of our comprehension. The purpose, I'm assuming, was to shame anyone who knew anything about the crime and who might have committed it to come forward. And arguably, 
It worked. The nation reacted as laws had hoped. All anyone talked about was what they'd like to do to those mongrels. Capital punishment was back on the agenda. And a close family member of one of the offenders, John Travers, came forward and agreed to assist police. As I said earlier, you should really read a book about this case. If you don't know about it, it is an extraordinary story. And it was an extraordinary thing for John Laws to do. And I don't know that it would be any less so today. The thing is, though, that while these details will be read out in court, families are warned in advance when that's going to happen. And so they have the option to leave the room if they wish. But what John Laws did that day made it quite a bit harder for Anita's family and friends to make that choice for themselves. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have been able to have a happy life and I have so many good things. I always feel that my sister and my parents are not too far away from me. Mm. Um, Now, I don't know whether that's just my feeling. A lot of people can say that about people that that, um, have passed. So that's really lovely for me to have that feeling and it's almost like I feel if you want to use sort of the term of having angels around you. So it's very lovely. It's mm-hmm. um, I feel also that I've had a lot of really positive things that have come out of Anita's death and, you know, beyond. Too numerous to speak about, but as a, an individual, I'd like to just keep moving forward in my life and always looking at the positive and, I will also do my best to help others and I think that helps me knowing that I am helping someone to perhaps overcome their grief Mm -hmm. just by knowing that you can move beyond that and there's no time limit. And as I said, it can come up at any time. It just gets a little easier with time. Grace's Place was came about probably just over seven years ago. The executive director, Martha Jabour of the Homicide Victim Support Group, uh, she telephoned me and said that she had this idea for a just taking the support group a little bit further and actually dedicating something specifically for children because there does seem to be that little bit of a gap 
um, something we've noticed over the years. So we're talking since my sister's murder, that was 37 years ago, so clearly nothing back then. But we tend to think of children as being very resilient or, oh, you know, they'll be fine. Or worse than that, we think they won't remember things. Yes, yes, that's right, yes. But things do get retained and what we have discovered over the years is that it's no this is no secret it's just that obviously as children enter their teens their young adulthood years these traumas from and you know whether it be you know early childhood or mid childhood or even in their teens that can creep in to their the psychology and affect their mental health I have children now that have have had to go through that process as well of never getting to know their their auntie. How have you spoken to them about that? Like at, at what age and how? how well, has that been? this is something that perhaps even Grace's place could have been available. Yeah, for my children back in the day when Mum was still around as well, and Dad when they were very young, they would see a photo. You know, who's that? Oh, that's Auntie Anita. Oh, where where is Auntie Anita, you know? And then we'd start off by saying, oh, Auntie Anita's in heaven, you know, and you keep it very light and very fluffy. And then um, we'd obviously go and visit the grave and, you know, you'd say we're visiting Auntie Anita and things like that. And that just very progressively you have to be a little bit more honest you say things like, you know, sadly, uh, she died, um, you know, and, and then the, the questions just come as they get even older, they come and come and come. As soon as they, they're old enough to get onto the computers, as we know, they can Google anything. So we had to be really careful about how we brought things out to them and explain things. And, you know, they've been great. They've been great. Mm-hmm. Um, my son actually had, um, as part of his studies and I'm not sure what what subject that was but they had her case come up and I can't think what it was but they actually knew that there was a family member and they actually asked my permission whether it would be okay to discuss it within the class and yeah that was fine and yeah it was nothing he'd heard it all before anyway so that was fine but um and now they're just, my kids are very, very supportive and they know everything we're doing. They come along, now they're old enough to come along to the functions. And um, for them, it's a bit of a family. They know everyone. It's a big family. You seem to be a pretty great uh, role model for them. And your parents seem to have been pretty beautiful role models. I mean, they were famously dignified, kind, stoic. And, you know, seeing you then pick up the the baton has proven that it wasn't just for show. It wasn't like they were just like that on the news and then different people privately. No, exactly. Um, no, they lived and breathed, breathed it. And um, I actually did sort of feel like I was picking up the baton. That's probably a good way to describe it, I think. But it's been an honour for me as well. And um, I know I've done my my part and I will continue to do my part. But that's good. I think that's good that you know that you've done your part too, that you know you don't, you're aware there can be a moment that you can then pass it on. Yes, and you can also at times, at any time, you can step away for a bit and have a bit of, you know, 
restoration time. Respite, yeah. So where are we at with Grace's Place? Please tell us, because as I say, we've been following the story of this idea for years, but now it's a, it's a reality. It's happening. Can you please tell us where where are we at? Oh, so yeah, on the second of February, we had the the grand opening, which was quite an amazing event. Amazing! I'm getting chills thinking about it. Seven years in the making, so yeah. it was particularly exciting and such a relief for all of us involved because it was such a, a team and you know huge team effort. Everyone involved. The facility itself is mind-blowing and that's all the only way I can describe it because I could never visualise it. We've been looking at diagrams and speaking about how it would be fitted out and what, you know, what's needed and special rooms that are needed. But when you actually walk through the place, it is just amazing. We've come a long way now knowing how to plan a building, what's required. It, every tiny thing has been thought about. And that's been in the planning for all these years. And so many people have contributed beautiful, beautiful things, quilts, toys, beautiful knitted things and, and you know, right down to the these lovely little things that um, very generous people have donated, are very generous, lovely. People have beautiful hearts and it's really heart heartwarming. Yeah, and I, th- I guess this is also part of it is the flip side of your family becoming this, uh, you know, famous for this terrible reason is that you're also kind of beloved, you know. There is a sense of the community wanting to wrap their arms around you and, and an idea that involves you and and your parents. and Yeah, that, that's, um, that's actually really yeah. lovely and, and it is, it's heartwarming. So I guess now um, the Grace's Place is up and running because there's an office arm which is wonderful. There's the uh, residential arm, which is 12 beautiful rooms. So that's for 12 children at any one time with their carers. So that's 24 people, Um, beautiful bathrooms. Um, Then there's lovely sitting areas and, and, you know, where they can just chill, chill rooms. There's the counselling and um, therapy rooms. That's another wing altogether. And just the the grounds are just beautiful, lovely play areas. Everything's been thought out. It's just really beautiful. It's just occurring to me now, do you reckon the children will get the same sort of comfort from being in a place together that you get from being in the um, homicide victim support group? That is exactly. When I walked through the other, other day, I was walking through and I thought these kids will have such a positive memory of this place it will be a place where I'm sure that they would feel very very comfortable if they needed to come back they may meet um, other children that have been through Mm. the same thing Um, they may be able to be connected to those children and you know remain friends which is would be a lovely thing and just knowing that they've got a place I think the world can be a really hard and cold frightening place sometimes if you're struggling um, mentally with mental health issues. And I think knowing that there's a safe place to come to where you know that you'll be, you know, as you say, big arms wrapped around you and made to feel comfortable, I think it's going to be beautiful for these young ones. Loss is loss. And I think just when it's to violence or a murder or homicide, that has another 
degree of when we lose someone, you often feel robbed, even if it's if it's traumatic, that can come into it as well. And and for myself, obviously, I had the trauma of um, my my sister's dreadful uh, the way in which she was murdered, which that never leaves you, never ever leaves you, and it can come at any time. Um, it's amazing we have ability in our brains and the psychology to be able to compartmentalise things and to be able to tuck it away for a little bit. But then it can, as we know, it can come up again later on. I think with young, the younger ones, it can lead to them going completely off the rails and acting out, taking out anger on people, running away from home, just running, just running. Don't know what from, but they're just running. Yeah, running away from the sadness and trauma and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it it takes a long time for us as humans to realise that that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't actually mm-hmm. run away from that, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. And I think having to, the best thing personally that I have found myself is to be able to talk and with trusted people. I've had a wonderful family, wonderful close circle of friends that I'm able to speak very openly and honestly. And if I have anything troubling me, concerning me, just even going over things from the past, that it just helps to be able to speak to somebody. I think it was um, Detective Chief Inspector Gary Raymond who's now retired, but who worked on the case of your sister's murder. I think he said that for him, this project grew out of a moment with your lovely dad, Gary, when your dad said to him, Gary, something has to come out of this, something positive. Yes. Yeah. I think Gary uses words, something good has to come out. That was my dad. He was a very positive person. So, and mum for that matter, um, always very positive, which I think I've got a bit of that myself. Thank goodness. Obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And um, they were wonderful role models for myself. And it's sort of a legacy, isn't it? This is Grace's Place is a legacy to to my my dad, my mum. They were very generous with their time with other family members of homicide when the group finally got up and running. Do you mean the group Victims of Homicide Support Group? Yes, the homicide. Yeah, 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 it's called the Homicide Victim Support Group, which was yep. initially they were like the the founding members with other family members as well. Um, it's incredible. I know our group in Victoria is also an incredible group of people who are so supportive to each other. To me, so I've been obviously part of this group since it was uh, since it began, and I've attended various functions. We have Christmas gatherings. We have balls we have an annual ball where we all sort of that's a time just to sort of everyone let their hair down and have fun but you're amongst people that have all gone through the same thing and there's just that it's a knowing you don't have to speak you don't have to talk about your situation you just know and I've always said that over the years the the people that I've come to know uh from the group they just feel like a, a second family. So it's really, really lovely. I haven't had counselling, but I've had plenty of great people around Not me. Not ever. Not ever. But I say, oh. I say that being in the group yeah. is my counselling. 
that is my count. I mean, we speak, we speak, we talk, we yeah. um, go through what each other has been through and, and going through. And it's just, like I said, it's just that knowing, that understanding, that has been, I guess, my my counselling. Yeah, Emily and I recently met a beautiful, beautiful lady who has lost her son through violence. And we were asking her afterwards, after the recording, if she had ever made contact with our Victorian group. She said, no, she'd never heard of them. And and she lost her son some time ago. And we were talking to her about the group and she immediately, she's been through lots of counselling and lots of sort of different counselling groups, but she immediately sparked up and she said, oh, yes, please, yes, I'd like to have their contact details. I think we started to talk about the laughter that can happen, the sort of shared sense of humour even. That's what really got her interested, that it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all morbid like no, a lot of outsiders would expect. Yeah, I can agree with that thoroughly yeah. because I've I've met some really lovely people and guaranteed when we get together there's a bit of mischief, you know, we have a bit of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, that's, that's our nature but... Um, also very supportive and it can turn to really serious, really deep and tears and hugs and whatever. And then in an instant you're laughing and yeah, it's joyous. And and so that that's the beauty of it as well. It is, isn't it? It's so special and unique and it's a club nobody wants to no, join. No, no, one, no one wants to be a member. No, absolutely. No. <laughs> but if you happen to unfortunately be eligible, there's nothing like it. It's there. And I think having that, as you say, people may not be aware. I think once you're aware of something like this, yeah, come and join if, you, if, you, if you're eligible. And that's unfortunately you, you must have lost a loved one through homicide. If you've been affected by anything discussed in this episode, you can phone Lifeline on 13 11 14. There's also 13 Yarn on 13 92 76, which is a 24-7 crisis support phone line for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. For ad-free listening, early access and exclusive content, join Australian True Crime Plus on Apple Podcasts. There's a link in the show notes to find out more. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.